Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And if you have a Bible today, you can go ahead and get it ready. We'll be in Acts chapter number 2. And last week, we started this series, Mission Critical, and uh, what is critical to our mission as a church. And week number one, we talked about how truth is absolutely critical to our mission. And I brought a message last week uh, entitled, Truth Matters. We talked about how truth is, is so essential and doctrine is so essential to our faith. And we don't want to get caught up in style that we overlook substance. And we want to make sure that we are letting truth lead the way. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to uh, listen to the podcast. I believe that it, uh, the word of God could be an encouragement to you uh, from 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And this week we're going to look at the second component uh, to what is uh, critical to our mission. And that component is community. And uh, everybody say community. Community is so vitally important. I want to bring a message this morning that I've just entitled, Built to Belong. Built to Belong. If you have a Bible, would you say amen? amen. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. It says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. Everybody say together. They were together, and they had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted to them all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. And I got to pray that for the next few minutes we can... Uh, uh, focus on your word today, Lord. I pray that we would have uh, a holy attention, and I, God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to say that would be beneficial for us. God, I pray that we can understand uh, the, the purpose of this text. Lord, I pray that we can be encouraged from this text, and God, I pray that we can be challenged uh, to live a life of community and live life uh, together how you intended. And God, I pray that we can uh, just really lean in today. Lord, I pray that we can leave differently because of your word. And I pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever felt out of place? Can I see your hands? You felt out of place, felt like maybe you didn't belong uh, somewhere. My daughter recently started to play basketball. She's five years old. And uh, um, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life where my kids can start playing basketball and sports. And so I've been so excited. Liv is now on a basketball team. And uh, uh, I just want to say I'm very proud to announce that yesterday, Liv had six rebounds in her game, led, led both teams in rebounds. I'm not saying that she's going to go to the WNBA, but that's an option right now. Okay, so uh, I'm very uh, proud of her, and I was excited yesterday cheering her on. And uh, the first game that she had, though, she's kind of getting acclimated. She's getting adjusted to her team because she's the only girl on her entire team. 
And so she feels a little bit uncomfortable at times, and she's a little shy and embarrassed. And in fact, her first game, she was the only girl on either team. And so she was out there, and she was a little bit nervous, never played a basketball game before. And she was kind of just standing at half court, and she wasn't really running up and down. And her team was kind of going back and forth, and she was kind of just like watching them all go. And, and she was kind of confused. And, and one of the players on her team on the bench said, Liv, you can't just stand there. Do something. And I looked over at him like, watch it, kid. You know, like, like be careful. And uh, she's trying right now to kind of get uh, acclimated. She's trying to get adjusted because she feels like, you know, she's just a little bit out of place. And I think if we're honest this morning, that's a feeling that we can all relate to because nobody likes that feeling where uh, we don't quite belong or maybe we don't quite fit in. Nobody likes that feeling to feel like you're not actually a part. And the reason why we don't like that feeling is because God, our creator, designed us to live in the context of community. That, that he created us with a desire and a need to live in relationship, to not live in isolation, but to live in interaction with one another. That is how God designed us and created us to live. He created created us for community. He built us to belong. Now, this is an interesting time to live because we are living in an age where social media has uh, radically transformed the way that we view and experience relationships. Just to put things into perspective, uh, as of January 2019, uh, if what I read is correct, we have a worldwide population of 7.7 billion people. And among those 7.7 billion people, 3.397 billion are active social media users. And so that means that nearly half the planet are actively using social media. Half the planet is connected through social media. And we are living in a time where connection is at an all-time high, but community is at an all-time low. We've never been more connected, but we've never needed so much community than we do right now. And so this morning, I want to talk for a little bit about how we were created for community, how we were built to belong. The New York Post recently said that we check our phones every 12 minutes and 80 times a day. And uh, it's actually been reported that 31% of people in this study, they say that when they're not with their phones, they actually experience separation anxiety. Like, like, I don't know what to do if my phone is not uh, near me. And so we have this kind of complex uh, society in which we live where uh, we're kind of just constantly scrolling and scrolling and we're constantly flipping through the channels and, and uh, scanning online news feeds. And we have all of this information, but there's this kind of uh, humming agitation within us that desires something more because we were hardwired for community, for relationship. Uh, author Paul Tripp, he says this, he says, we, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God and in a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects, yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources that God has given us. And this morning, what I want us to understand is that community relationships are critical to our mission. It's mission critical. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, for the body is, is not one member, but many. Everybody say many. many. Ecclesiastes Solomon in his wisdom says in Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. If someone falls, they'll have someone that can assist him. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up again. If two lie together, if they have heat, uh, but how can one uh, be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly 
broken. And so Solomon was saying, hey, life is better together. You're, you're, you're stronger, you're safer when you are together. And this morning, I want to make it very clear that I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking, this message is not about going to a church. This message is about belonging to a church because there is a great difference between going to and belonging to. Going to is very casual, but belonging to is a whole different story. Belonging to says, I'm going to dig down deep. I'm going to get rooted and planted where God has me, and I want to encourage one another and build someone up and help assist them. I want to belong because that's what I was built to do. We were built to belong. And so we come to Acts chapter number two, and I believe that we find an amazing example of this. We come to uh, the early church. This was the genesis, the catalyst of the church, the church uh, on its launch day. We see that Jesus had already uh, been crucified. He had already been buried, resurrected, and now ascended back up into heaven. And what we learn in Acts chapter number two is that as Jesus ascended into heaven, now the Holy Spirit has descended upon the church in this powerful day of Pentecost. And the Bible tells us that on day one of the church, 3,000 people saved and baptized. How many of you think that's a pretty successful launch? Anybody said that's a pretty good opening day, right? But what's more impressive is that the church did not just kind of stagnate after that initial uh, uh, great launch. They, in fact, continued to grow, and they continued to explode and advance, and they continued to have fellowship and discipleship, and the church really just started to take off in a great way because they understood the importance of doing life together. And so this morning, as we consider this idea that we were built to belong, I want us to see four components to what I believe uh, is a healthy community. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give us four components to a healthy and strong community. Number one, there must be a pattern of consistency. A pattern of consistency. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 42 of our text. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. And what that word means is that they had this unwavering dedication, this unwavering commitment. Yes, they had an unbelievable launch day of the church and 3,000 people saved and baptized. But right after that, they continued steadfastly. They were consistent in what God was having them to do. They, they said, we're not just going to start great. We're going we're gonna to sustain that momentum. And we're going to continue on in what God has for us. John 8, 31 says, Jesus uh, said to those Jews which, which believed on him, if ye continue, everybody say continue, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And I want to tell you this morning that community is built on consistency. You can't have great authentic community if you first don't have consistency. I can't have a great community in my family if I never consistently talk to my kids and my wife. I can't have a great community in my marriage if I'm not consistently talking and loving my wife. And so uh, we have to understand that great community, even in the context of church community, there must first be consistency. And so what we see in the early church is they had this pattern of consistency. They continued steadfastly. But I want you to see the avenues in which they continued because the Bible uh, gives us some specific avenues in which they continued. And the first one is in the apostles' doctrine. Now, the word doctrine there means teaching. And so what that means is that the early church, they constantly, continually, consistently placed themselves under the preaching and teaching of God's word. That meant that every time God's word was open, anytime the apostles would come and teach at the temple or they would, uh, they would, they would be teaching in different avenues, that the early church said, man, I want to lean into that. I want to make sure that I'm under that teaching and continue in teaching and in the truth. Now, last week I preached an entire message on this, so I won't belabor this point, but we have to understand that we can't have a church that's just a mile wide and an inch deep. 
We've got to be a church that knows what we believe, that's, that's rooted in Christ, that's rooted and grounded in the scripture, rooted and grounded in doctrine, that we know what we believe, we know why we believe it, and we are going to continue in, in the doctrine, in the word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, this in, in Proverbs 1, verse number 5, a wise man will hear, everybody say hear, and will increase learning will increase learning. And so they were consistent in their learning. Will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise uh, counsels. And so it's this idea, it's this heart, it's this mindset that says, man, uh, anytime God's word is open, I'm going to sit as close as I can. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to go to small group. Man, I want to know what God's word says, and I want to be consistent in my learning. I want to learn what God has me to learn. And so the Bible tells us time and time again to incline our ear and to lean into teaching. And we cannot remain stagnant in our knowledge, but we've got to keep on growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John Wooden, he's uh, perhaps the most famous, uh, famous college basketball coach for UCLA. He said this in the context of leadership. He said, a leader who is through learning is through. And so is the team such a leader leads. It's what you learn after you learn. Uh, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. So what he's saying is, hey, never stop learning. You know, it's a very dangerous place to be spiritually when we come to a text that is familiar and we say, I remember that one. I, I, I got this one under control. We come to Acts chapter 2, oh, the early church. I, I remember this one. Yeah, I know. No, we always have to have a posture and a heart that says, man, what can I glean? What can I learn? What can I, I apply to my life? And so uh, they were consistent in their learning, but then they were also consistent in their fellowship, Okay, and uh, uh, it says in verse number 42, and the apostles' doctrine and their fellowship. Now, the Greek word for fellowship there is an interesting word. It's koinonia, and it means a partnership or sharing. And it carries the idea of, of togetherness. And so they did life together. They, they, they were partners together. They were sharing together. They, they had this fellowship with one another. And, and so this is the pattern of consistency that we must demonstrate to be constantly fellowshipping with one another. And there's a lot of people today that have the wrong uh, anti-biblical idea that, hey, yes, I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus, but I'm not really going to be committed to the church because the church has imperfect people and it's just more of an organization. And so I'm just going to kind of worship in my own time by myself. I'm going to go to the beach, and that's where I'm going to worship. And I just want to tell you today that we need to reject that idea, and we need to reject it biblically because we were created for fellowship. God wants us to do life together. He, he, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We've got to say, I'm going to be committed to the body. I'm going to be uh, consistent in learning and consistent in fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider one another. It doesn't say, and let us consider ourselves. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. How can I encourage someone? How can I strengthen someone? How can I edify someone? How can I build someone up? How can I encourage them today? How can I show the love of Jesus to them? When was the last time you paused and considered someone else? 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Everybody say Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all Sin. I recently read an article that was entitled 13 Things Gyms Won't Tell You and uh, caught my attention because I recently signed up for a gym membership and I'm reevaluating some of my resolutions very quickly. And I was kind of curious, okay, what, what does the gym not tell me? And so I read this article, number one on the list, this was the big idea, it said this, number one, we count on you to not show up. 
13 things gyms won't tell you. Number one, we count on you to not show up. And they say, they, we understand that 50% of people that decide that they're going to start exercising regularly after uh, about three months, you're not going to be exercising anymore. And so we actually count on you to not show up. And they said, if everyone showed up that signed up for a membership, we would not even be able to uh, control everyone that came, came in. It would be absolutely chaos. They said, gyms are not desi- designed for actual membership. And I want to tell you this morning, the church is not like a gym because the church is designed for you to show up and the church is designed for fellowship and the church is designed that we would come in and hold each other accountable and encourage one another and support one another and love one another. Hey, we count on you to show up. It's not just to fill a seat. It's not just to have another volunteer position. It's about to encourage one another in the love of Jesus. And so we see that the early church, they had this pattern of consistency. They were consistent in their learning and the doctrine. They were consistent in fellowship. But I love how it says in breaking of bread, because that tells us that this was the common denominator in their fellowship. Uh, breaking of bread is a reference to communion, to the Lord's table. When Jesus says this, do as often as you, as you drink this cup, do in remembrance of me. And so we have uh, the bread uh, uh, representing the body, and we have the juice representing the blood. And so what was the common denominator for their fellowship? It was the cross. It was Jesus. This was not just a social club. If you just want more friends and want to have a social club, then join a bowling league. But this is talking about we're going to be united around the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to be united in the cause and the mission of the church, and we're going to be united around Jesus. And so uh, they were consistent in their learning. They were consistent in their fellowship. But then they were also consistent in prayer. I believe that one of the greatest things that we do at our small groups on a weekly basis is we take time to pray. And we ask each other, how can I pray for you? And what, what needs are coming up in your life? And how can we strengthen one another? In the early church, they were consistent in their prayers because they understood where there is no prayer, there will be no power. The Bible says in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And so this morning, I want to encourage us, if we're going to have a healthy community, we've got to have this pattern of consistency. We can't have a hit and miss Christianity where it's just like sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I don't, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. We've got to develop this this consistency where we can continue steadfastly in learning and continue steadfastly in fellowship and breaking bread and continue steadfastly in prayer. We've got to have this pattern of consistency. Are you tracking with me this morning? And so that's the first element that I see of a healthy community. But there's a second element this morning. We've also got to have this attitude of awe. So what's the second component to a healthy church, a healthy community? Well, we've got to have an attitude of awe. How many of you have ever been in awe? Can I see your hands? You've been in awe before? I've been in awe a few times in my life. A couple weeks ago, Katie turned on something on Netflix. I can't remember what it was called. It was like a a Planet Earth show. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? And... uh, and we were watching this, and I wasn't really paying attention. I was on my, on my computer, and, and then I kind of kept looking up, and I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, what is going on? There was, like, this one scene where these snakes were, like, being chased by, like, these iguanas on the beach. And I'm like, is this science fiction? Like, what is going on? This is amazing. And my jaw kind of dropped a little bit, and I was in awe. And what we find in the early church is that, that they had this common denominator, and they had this fellowship, and it was surrounded by this awe. Like they were amazed at what God was doing. Notice what it says in verse 43. And fear 
came upon every soul. Now, the word fear there is talking about a reverential fear. It, it actually means awe, like they were just amazed at what God was doing. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. We kind of, uh, elsewhere in Scripture, when this word fear is used, we, we get the idea and understand that it's not talking about terror or being afraid. It's talking about this sense of awe. And, and the Bible tells us uh, one example that we have is in Luke chapter number 7, verses 11 through 16. It says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, speaking of Jesus, and many of his disciples went with him. And much people, now when he came uh, nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, and, and uh, the, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much uh, people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. By the way, aren't you thankful that Jesus had compassion on you? He had compassion on her, and he said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched uh, the buyer, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, uh, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear. Everybody say fear. There came a fear on all. And so does this mean that they were terrified? They were very scared? No, because notice the next phrase. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us and that God hath visited his people. And so, and so when they saw the works of Jesus, they were overcome with this reverential fear and this sense of awe. And this is exactly what we see taking place in the early church. They had this attitude of awe. And so many times we don't have the community, the healthy community that God wants us to have because somewhere along the way we've lost our sense of awe. And someone gets saved, and we announce, hey, someone got saved last week, and oh, that's cool. Someone gave their life to Christ. Oh, good. But we need to remember that God is doing something special. And we need to, every once in a while, just pinch ourselves and say, man, I'm so thankful for the miracle of salvation. I'm so thankful for the miracle of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that God is changing lives and God is growing his church and that God is doing the miraculous in our midst. And we need to have a sense of awe. So often we become accustomed to what God wants us to be in awe over. And instead of being filled with awe, we're filled with apathy. And we're, we're just kind of used to it. And so we see that the early church, they had this fear. Many wonders and signs were done by, by the apostles. And so these apostles were doing these miracles. And the purpose of these miracles was to confirm the word of God. Uh, they didn't have uh, the completed uh, word of God like we do today. And so the apostles during this time, they were given this, this authority and this ability to perform miracles in Jesus' name. And the Bible tells us what uh, these miracles were for. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 3 says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed? Everybody say confirmed. Confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And so the message was first spoken by the Lord. And then it was confirmed. Okay, how was it confirmed? Well, the very next verse, Hebrews 2, 4 says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and with wonders and with diverse miracles. And so God would confirm the message of the apostles during this time by doing these, uh, these wonders and these miracles. You can see the first one in the very next chapter. Peter and John, they heal a lame man at the gate beautiful. And so we see that these miracles served a purpose. Now today, these types of miracles are not necessary. If we invited uh, five different uh, teachers to come in here on a Sunday morning from all over the world, and they were to teach us a message, it would be uh, somewhat easy for us to ascertain and to uh, determine if they are telling the truth. Because if someone comes in here and they start talking, we can say, okay, yeah, that, that's what the Bible says. Okay, I'm following along with that. If someone starts to say something, we're like, actually, I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. I'm not sure if they're speaking the truth. We could, we could determine if they're telling the truth. Well, during this time in the early church, they didn't have a Bible where they could just turn to Acts chapter number 2. And so when the apostles spoke, God would allow these miracles to come so that 
that would confirm the message. Are you tracking with me so far? And so these types of miracles are not necessary today. Do we still serve a God that does miracles? Absolutely. Can God still heal? Absolutely. Can God still record? Yes. There is nothing too hard uh, for our God. And so when, when we see the early church, what we see is they had this attitude of awe. And I want to encourage you to remember that, that you, if you have experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, that is a miracle. You are a miracle in motion. And we need to just thank God and praise God and have an attitude of awe and say, thank you for saving me. And thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for a home in heaven. This is amazing. We cannot grow accustomed to what God wants us to be in awe over. And so the early church, they had this attitude of awe. But I want you to see, I want you to see the third element this morning, the third component to a strong and healthy community. Number three, we have to have a passion for people. Very simply, we have to have a passion for people. Notice what it says in verse number 44. We learn that they were united together. Notice what it says. And all that believed were together. Everybody say together. together. Okay, again, so God did not create us to live in isolation. The, early, the earlier church, they, they were together. Uh, they had this unity together, and they had all things common. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally, be all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, love as brother, and be pitiful, be courteous. Have one mind. So there was this organic unity that was taking place. Now, a lot of times people will talk about unity, and certain groups and leaders will try to organize unity. In fact, many movements have gone into error because there was an, an over-exaggeration of trying to organize unity together, or organizing unity. But this was not an organized unity. This was an organic unity. This happened because they were united around uh, the word of God. They were united around uh, those things mentioned in verse number 42. And so they were united. And then it says, and they had all things common. Now, what does that mean, they had all things common? Well, it explains it in the next verse. Notice what it says. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, there is a distinction that needs to be made with the word sold. Now, in the Greek, that is in the imperfect tense. And what that means is that it was, it was continuing. It was imperfect. It, it's not talking about that they sold one time, they sold everything that they had. No, it means that they were continually selling things. If someone had a need, they would sell something and try to support that person. If someone else had a need, they would try to sell something and support that person. It does not support this idea. Some people will misinterpret this text to, to kind of carry this idea of communal living where you should just sell everything that you have, put it in a pot, and then everyone has to come together and use, use what's in the pot. That's not what it's talking about. Whenever someone had a need, they would say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice and be unselfish with what I have to give so that you can, can, can continue on. And so there was this unselfishness. They said, we're, we're willing to sell our possessions. Why? Because people matter more than possessions. And so they said, hey, I'll sacrifice my possessions, my things, in order to see you be encouraged, to see you be helped. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. But when possessions are given the wrong priority, they become problematic. And so we need to have this mindset and this heart that says, you know what, if someone is in need, I want to I help them in any way that I can. Now, we try to do this as a church. We have, on every third Saturday, we have God's Pantry, where we try to go out and, and uh at Fontana Middle School, and we try to give meals to those in need. We have uh, food, canned food drives. We have toy drives, and we want to help uh, our community. We need to be doing this uh, uh, corporately, but individually. Yeah. Are we willing to sacrifice what we have for someone else? Are we willing to say, you know, I can do without so that they can have. I, God has blessed me, not so I can just hoard all the blessings, but that I can bless others. 
And so this is what the, the early church, this was their mindset. They had a passion for people. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, but an equality that now at, at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. Did you catch that? Your abundance can be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality as it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over. Why did someone that gathered much have nothing over? Because he was sacrificially giving. And he that hath gathered little hath no lack. How is it someone that had such little had no lack? Because those that were blessed were helping those other people. And so we see that, that the early church, they were willing to sacrifice. They had a passion for people. You say, well, that sounds a little bit extreme. I need to make sure that, that I'm taken care of first. Well, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. When was the last time you sacrificed for someone else who could never return the favor? This was the heart and the mindset of the early church. They loved people. They cared about people. They had a passion for people. That's what a healthy community looks like. When, hey, I'm willing to give up something I have because I love you and I care about you and I want to reflect the love of Christ in your life. And then we see a fourth component this morning. You got one more in you today? Number four, the fourth component to a healthy community is a spirit of gladness. A spirit of gladness. I love these next verses. Notice what it says in verse number 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so they had this spirit of joy. They had this happiness, this gladness about themselves. You know, uh, today people will do all kinds of things to try to find happiness. People will try all kinds of different avenues to pursue happiness. Uh, I read an article recently. Finland was voted the happiest country on earth. How many of you knew that? Finland, they're happy people over there. Okay, nobody knew that. Okay. And they recently had this article where they were talking about why uh, these, these people are so happy. One of their secrets they finally revealed. This, this is one of their best kept secrets. Ready for it? Ice swimming. We're going to go ice swimming. And over 150,000 people are involved in this hobby in Finland that they go and they get in the water and they go ice swimming. And they say that when they uh, swim and it's uh, 14 degree weather outside, how many of you would say, I'll just stay miserable. I'm cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> they say that when they do this, it, it, it releases toxins and all these different things and it causes them to be happy. People try all sorts of different things to find true joy and satisfaction and happiness. But I want to tell you this morning that true joy Ultimate satisfaction is only found in a relationship with Jesus and in the context of biblical community. That's where we find true satisfaction. That's where we find joy and happiness. We see that the early church, they had this gladness. Now, this is amazing because it says, and they continuing daily with one accord. They had church every single day. Some people are like, man, I don't know if I can make the church. Hey, the early church, they went every day. They continued in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, whether it was at the temple or at the table, they had this unity. They were together all the time. Have you ever been around? This is amazing. Have you ever been around the same person for a long time? You started to get irritated with them, like maybe at a family reunion or something. And it's like when you first saw them, hey, it's so good to see you. Then a couple hours later, it's like, I need to go home so bad right now. <laughs> they were with each other every day, and yet they still had gladness. That is, maybe that's one of the miracles that they were talking about earlier from the apostles, that they were still happy together. They were with each other all the time. 
They loved being with each other. They, they had the spirit of joy. They had the spirit of gladness. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4, verse number 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. And this is what we see demonstrated. They went from house to house. They, they had hospitality. And this is what we see in our small groups. We're opening up homes and we're saying, hey, let's share a meal together. Let's share prayer requests together. Let, let's, let's have this spirit of hospitality without grudging, without complaining. This is what we were called to do. This is what authentic community looks like. And I want you to see two things and we'll be done today. What happens when there is a community that is operating like this? What are the results of when a church really comes together and is united and has this kind of community? Well, we see two results. Notice verse number 47. The first is that uh, it will be attractive. It attracts. Notice what it says. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And so what happened when they had the spirit of gladness and when they were united together, they all of a sudden had favor with all the people. It was actually attractive. People were looking at the church thinking, man, why are they so happy all the time? Why are they always together at each other's houses? And why are they just uh, welcoming strangers and welcoming neighbors? And how do they have the spirit of hospitality? What's going on with the church? What's going on with those people? And they actually earned favor and they became attractive. Can I tell you that that is God's design for the church? The church is not meant to be this thing where it's like, man, I'm I'm afraid of that. Those people are mean and judgmental. No, the church is actually supposed to be attractive. In fact, this was Jesus' prayer request in John 17, the high priestly prayer. This is exactly what he prayed for. He says that they all may be one. He says, I want them to be united as thou, Father, art in me. And just as we see community within the Holy Trinity, just as there was unity there, he says, as Father, thou art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Watch this, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And so when we are walking in unity and when we are walking in community, the world will actually find that attractive. Say, man, I want what they've got. There was an early second century Greek philosopher named Aristides. And he was an Athenian philosopher and he was an unbeliever. And uh, he later on became a believer, but he wrote... Uh, initially about his observations of the early church. This was written in the second century. Notice what he said in the second century observing the early church from an unsaved perspective, okay, a lost perspective. He said this, they abstain from all impurity in the hope of the recompense that is to come in another world. As for their servants or handmaids or children, they persuade them to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction brothers. They do not worship strange gods and they walk in all humility and kindness and falsehood is not found among them and they love one another. When they see the stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as over a true brother. And there is among them a man that is poor and needed and if they have not an abundance of necessities, they will fast two or three days that they may uh, supply the need with the necessary food. No wonder he later became a Christian. He said something's different about that group. Something's different about them. The church became attractive. It's my heart and prayer that we would love one another in such a way that we would support one another in such a way that when the world sees Rock Hill Church, they say, man, there's something different going on there at Steelworkers Auditorium. I haven't experienced that before. It's attractive. But not only is it attractive, it also adds. Notice what it says in the next verse. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, everybody say added, 
the Lord added to the church. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is the one that adds to the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. Hey, we just got to love people and do what God has called us to do, and he will do the building. He will do the adding. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. People were saved, and that is the purpose. That's why we started this church two years ago is because we want to see people experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about community. We're talking about relationship. The greatest relationship that you can have is a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that you can have a relationship with Jesus. Some people think, man, I just, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven and I hope I, I, I'm moral enough and I hope I'm kind enough. But the Bible says it's not by any of those things. It's only through a relationship with Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. It's only through a relationship with Jesus, and that's what it's all about. And today, if you've never been saved, if you've never experienced the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus, if you're not sure about your relationship with God, I would say today that you can know. You can know that you have a relationship with God. They praised God. They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church. Next week, we have, like Daniel mentioned, the Super Bowl, and uh, we got the Rams and the Patriots. And uh, I watched a, a really interesting video this week that I thought was funny. Maybe you've seen it. I've seen it on social media a few times. And uh, it's the Rams head coach, uh, Sean McVay. And he has an assistant coach that has one job. And his job is to make sure that the head coach stays uh, on the sidelines. Because the, the head coach, he's so focused on the game that he's constantly watching the game. And the refs are kind of running and they're about to run into him. And he might get a penalty. And so there's one assistant coach that his job is just to grab him and move him out of the way. And uh, I brought this video clip because I want you to see it this morning as we close. I watched that video and honestly, I couldn't help but think of the context of the local church because here's the reality this morning. We all have blind spots. We are focused on life. We're trying to do what God wants us to do and we're trying to journey through life and there are sometimes dangers that are coming our way that we don't see and that is exactly this morning why we need community and why we need support. We need people in our lives that say, hey, watch out. There's danger coming. Hey, come to a small group. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Let me help you. Hey, we need community. Nobody is strong enough this morning in this room to live in isolation. We have to live in interdependence and say, hey, I need you. I need a relationship with Jesus. Will you hold me accountable? Will you support me? Will you pray for me? Will you love me? me? Will you help me? And that's what authentic community is all about this morning. Would you stand with me this morning as we get ready to close? I want to encourage our church family. Let's move forward in the context of community. Let's say, hey, we're here for each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to support one another. We're going to lift each other up. We're not going to tear each other down with our words, but we're going to edify. We're going to encourage. We're going to love one another. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together today and to worship you. God, I pray that each one of us, each one of us this morning would be willing to take the next step towards community. Whether that's joining a small group today, whether that's joining a volunteer team, whether that is 
showing up earlier to have conversation, praying for one another. God, I pray that each one of us would take that next step. God, I pray that we would understand that, that we can't do life on our own. We were built to belong. We were created for community. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch. Church.